0: You are listening to the Climbing Advocate podcast. I am your host Peter Horgan. On this podcast I'll be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags, to the nation's iconic landscapes, and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. The show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 14 of the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Thank you all for taking the time to, to, to listen in today. Again, I'm your host, Peter Horgan. I hope you all enjoyed your holiday and are rolling into the new year strong. My guest for this episode was, it was a special one. Uh, his name is Aaron Mike. He is Access Fund's Native Lands Regional Coordinator. And not only does he hold this position with Access Fund, he also operates a guide service in Tucson, Arizona, and is also an athlete for Native Outdoors. So he does a multitude of things. And the topic that we spoke about is... is is really special to me. It's becoming more and more special to me and more interesting to me because I'm seeing it more and more all over social media, all over, or all in the outdoor industry. We talked about climbing and climbing on native lands, climbing on sovereign lands, and Aaron is a Navajo himself, so I think you'd be able to pick up on pick up on it pretty quickly, that he's very passionate about this topic, very passionate about these lands, very passionate about his people, and he's very well well versed in this topic. And so we went over everything that's involved with uh, climbing on, on native lands, all the issues and even opportunities that are associated with it. I think you would be pretty impressed by by the knowledge he can. he's going to be able to drop on all of you and uh, just, yeah, the passion he has for it. We covered a uh, a number of areas, including Bears Ears. We touched on Bears Ears a little bit. We didn't dive too deep into Bears Ears since we've already had an episode about Bears Ears. And that's probably the area that most folks are probably most familiar with since it's been in the spotlight for a couple of years now, a number of of years now. But then we uh, also covered Devil's Tower and then a couple areas a couple sovereign lands, um, Shiprock and Canyon Diablo. I called it Diablo Canyon a number of times. I apologize about that, but it's actually Canyon Diablo. So we talked about a couple areas that are on public lands, and then uh, we kind of switched gears there in the second half, talking about a couple areas that are on sovereign lands and how there's, you know, the differences between the two. So I'm going to let Aaron take over here and let you all uh, learn some more about climbing and native lands. all right aaron well thanks for joining me this morning uh you're currently down in tucson doing some guiding so i got a little more background on you this morning but I want to give the folks listening a little background on yourself where you're from where you're based out of uh, your climbing history and what you do in addition to your position with the access fund sure sure absolutely so um first off it's hello in
1: in dene navajo um i am actually from gallup new mexico uh, lived around there, and also kind of skipping back and forth on and off the Navajo nation, uh, Monument valley area, and uh, uh, south of Rock. Um So uh, spent a lot of time there and uh, currently living in uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona, which uh, right near the base of uh, one of our sacred mountains is Navajo. It's a really special place to be. Um, I am a athlete. Rock climbing athlete for Natives Outdoors and Native Lands Regional Coordinator for the Access Fund. Um, and I also own Pangea Mountain Guides in Tucson, Arizona. So I've been guiding for roughly six or seven years now um, and nice. transitioned into that from just a lot of recreational climbing around the Southwest. Um, I started climbing back in around 2003 or so as a, as a high school student. Um, nice. and quickly just got swept off my feet with rock climbing. Um, this really beautiful, unique activity that allowed me to feel connected to the land more so than I did in, in those times, you know, those recent times. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, so it kind of just organically built from there, um, and focused on, mostly rock arts, you know, not rock art, but like the art of climbing on stone rather than right. ice climbing or anything like that. Just, just because, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, really brief, yeah. History of, of kind of how I came into climbing and such.
0: Nice. Well, yeah, I can definitely relate to it. Swooping you off your feet. I moved to Colorado just about 10 years ago to, I've been snowboarding my whole life and I, I moved out West to, to snowboard more and get into some deeper snow and right. found out what rock climbing was just a few months after I moved here and it was, yeah, game over. Rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: that It's a really funny thing, you know, and I, I think uh, that's kind of informed a lot of the advocacy that I do in a big way because right. coming from a deep connection to my, my cultural heritage, living on the Navajo nation and off but, mm-hmm. Really close, and moving away um, definitely felt like there was this kind of hole missing um, in terms of like my identity. Um, so finding rock climbing was this brilliant, you know, balance between recreation in beautiful places, but also feeling just really connected to to my heritage. Which for Native American people, it's it's the land. You know, that's that's our yeah. connection. That's our heritage. So really special moment, yet when people can find that, you know, for themselves. That's it's such a great
0: thing. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Aaron. And yeah, like a lot of, uh, yeah, Native history is rooted in sense of place, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's, that's really beautiful. And I saw a picture on social media in the last few weeks, I think is from uh, James Q. Martin, saying that yeah, like you said, you're you know you're Navajo. You're from the nation, and and you choose not to climb on Navajo land. Could you expand on that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the Navajo Nation, just like any other nation, um, or commonly referred to as reservation land, is trust land, and it's a it's sovereign land. So mm-hmm. it depends on kind of where you are. With um, you know, so for me, I'll just say, I am aware that there there are certain rules and regulations on Navajo land that has come from Tribal Council, the the highest form of government, um, the the highest authority in Navajo Nation, um, Mm -hmm. that prohibits uh, rock climbing or base jumping of any form. Um, And getting in the weeds about it a little bit, that I mean, it's it's prohibited it's banned it's whatever word that's absolute that's in in writing for navajo nation parks and rec and even on their websites you can find it um but that's been in effect since the 70s um right and it may you know it may or may not be the same on other lands i just know that it is in effect still um, now, when you get into the weeds a little more, you start talking about, you know, at the chapter level, which are the, the you know, local communities of the Navajo Nation, that some of them have their ability to write their own um, use plans.
0: Sure. Um,
1: however, when it comes down to the Navajo Nation and their stance on it, that's what you get. And that is one of the things that, you know, I I've always been taught, you know, not even just being, you know, indigenous heritage, but... Respecting the rules for for where you are, and I think right. that's definitely an issue of respecting sovereignty of 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 a of a nation. Um, sure, that's that's why I don't choose to climb on Navajo until, you know, until maybe in the future that that comes around to something that the Navajo, on behalf of Navajo, want to pursue for economic gain or for for health and wellness mm-hmm. and such. Um, but sure. That's not my decision.
0: Right. Right. Uh, well, that's yeah, that's easily justifiable on your end, and we'll definitely get into the weeds some more with some uh, specific examples coming up here shortly. But why don't you give us a quick uh, rundown on? Your position with the Access Fund as the Native Lands Regional Coordinator—that's that's, that's the correct title, right? I said that. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. right.
1: So yeah, it's a it's a cool thing actually. Um, I started working with the Access Fund. Uh, Regional Coordinator was a volunteer position that you know had mm. different you know people across the country that were doing a lot of good work in terms of like stewardship and you know really trying to bring out those roles, uh, the connections with uh, local climbing organizations. Um mm-hmm. so essentially I started working with the Access Fund when you know there became this obvious clear need that's been around for a long time for um I guess respecting and appreciating the a native perspective on climbing and whether or not, you know, it it's appropriate to climb in certain areas and you know just, just be in touch with that side. So I got involved over uh, just, you know, just over five years ago. Um, And now the position has moved towards a uh, a, a more of a contractor position. Um, So essentially that means collaborating with the access fund and trying to serve as like an intermediary between tribal interests and, and a rock climbing access group. Mm -hmm. So I think the, uh, my relationship with climbing and my heritage is kind of, given me somewhat of a unique position to, to really push for, for that relationship.
0: Yeah. You seem to be the, yeah, the right man for the job and you've you've been doing it for, would you say five years as, you know, as volunteer starting off and now Correct. more of on a contract position five Correct. years ago. Okay. Yes. And just recently I changed to the contractor position. Gotcha. Right on. Cool. Well, we're about to dive into a topic that seems to be getting more and more relevant with each day that passes. And it's becoming more of an important topic that needs to be considered when talking about public land management and more attention needs to be put towards, put towards it uh but towards climbing on native lands because without knowing it we are often climbing on in native territories right Correct. so we could easily do full-length episodes on all these areas and their associated issues that we're going to be diving into here so let's do our best to provide yeah, a nice, informative, but concise uh, yeah, general background on, on these areas such as Shiprock and in, in Diablo Canyon in New Mexico, um, Devil's Tower in Wyoming, and maybe touch on Bears Ears a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: I was just going to
1: mention, yeah, probably the, one of the big differences between those places that you mentioned um, mm-hmm. are the fact that somewhere on public lands, which, you know, are, are federally managed lands and some are on sovereign lands. So it, yeah, it's definitely, there. there's certainly parallels there. Um, but I guess I can, uh, if you'd like, I could start with kind of description of the Bears Ears and kind of what's going on and what
0: went on there. Yeah, yeah, hit us with it.
1: Okay, yeah, so public lands, right? So that, that's a really big point is that pretty much anywhere we go and spanning across user groups for recreation, there, you are inevitably on somebody's sacred lands and somebody's homelands, former homelands. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, there are a lot of, you know, tribes that still occupy a lot of those territories. And, you know, that is something that really needs, you know, to be part of, you know, a pillar of, of our, when we talk about management plans, I, I think that's one of the most important things. And, so with regard to the Bears Ears, um, there are multiple tribes that hold that land very sacred. Right. Um, and essentially, um, my role in what the Access Fund recognized, as well as the intertribal coalition, was well as that we have shared interest in protecting those lands. Um, mm-hmm. So we came together to try to form you know, a larger coalition that had has multiple skills, um, including, you know, land acquisition and management, and all informed with uh, the participation of of native people, which which is a really big thing that we, we push for. We came together for. Um, <clears throat> now, it was successful in being declared a national monument, but recently. It's kind of changed. I mean, it not kind of it, it has. So under <laughs> the current administration, we've seen yep. a massive reduction of, of yep. what is considered national monument. Um, and with that, there's, there's been lawsuits filed that that was an illegal action by the access fund and a lot of other um, outdoor recreation groups and land managers, including the inter-tribal coalition. Um, right. Now, essentially, it creates a big a big issue because um now we are looking at over a million acres that are will be remaining uh, you know unprotected open to things like natural resource extraction and you know this land is house housed, you know there's so much so many sacred cultural sites are are present on I mean you can imagine on a million acres uh, just over a million acres of land, not like that, but right. of course, like some of the most iconic rock climbing in the country is is in this area. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, the goal hasn't necessarily changed in the ter- in the sense of of trying to build a management plan um, that emphasizes, you know, cultures of people that were there before, indigenous cultures. Um, that that's still the goal. However, it's kind of up in the air right now with uh, with litigation and such. Um, so we're, you know, keeping our ear to the ground on that and still trying to develop that that management plan.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I had a question exactly about the management plan. Um, I attended the workshop, your workshop at the summit this year, and I didn't get a chance to answer or ask this question during the Q and A. But now that the monument has been reduced. And whether the folks at the at the managing uh, federal agency, land agencies, the Forest Service, and the BLM like it or not, they have to operate. Uh, they have to operate under a management plan of a reduced monument. So, what's how has that dynamic changed with you all and your mission and like helping uh, mold this management plan? And now with the federal land agencies dealing with their uh, updated or new management plan. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it it does.
1: So, you know, it, that's a that's a really hard uh question to answer because you know, there are a lot <laughs> of different there are a lot of different interests going into that and there, you know, the Intertribal Coalition certainly has its own um access fund even though, you know, we we definitely are aligned in our thinking of trying to develop a more inclusive management plan, but I think the the goal in in the overall goal is still trying to get that that essentially the management of uh depending on, you know, multiple people like not not only land managers but you know Native American people. Um mm-hmm. and that that for me at least is still the ultimate goal. You know, so that's different from a, you know, a management plan from from any other federal uh agency, you know. So that 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 sense hasn't changed for me. Is mm-hmm. and, and I think that I represent, you know, a pretty common idea and a pretty common goal uh, for the people involved or the organizations involved.
0: Right. Well, I guess, uh, I, like I said, we could keep going about Bears Ears alone here. So I got well, another question. Uh, a Native tribal member has been elected to or uh, as a county commissioner, correct? Uh, Correct. In New Mexico? I'm, I'm, uh, in, in Utah, okay, um, yeah. uh, uh, God, what, now I'm blanking on his name, but I had heard about this when I was doing my master's like earlier this year. And I just wanted to see if you knew anything about that and, you know, how that dynamic might add some, add some water to, you know, add some, uh, help to your guys' side with, uh, yeah. a native person being on the, being on the County commissioner. Right. Um, uh, so I have to be honest. Yeah. I'm
1: not very, I'm not really well versed on, on that specifically but i can i can say that you know utah i mean well i'll just say utah and and if you extract a little further you see rock climbers in general or or outdoor recreation there's somewhat of a chaotic history there between between native people and indigenous tribes and and the collision for you know outdoor recreation Mm -hmm. um in plenty of examples of it Um, however i will say that you know it I would think that I mean that'd be a really positive thing especially in Utah where there's been no collision of a lot of user groups with their own interests and you know which is absolutely fine but um with somebody in a position of power that can represent you know better than anything that you know uh I'm doing or advocates you know can do but holding a position of office uh, I would think that I mean that's that's a fantastic thing to hear it's a really really good step up
0: yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's, uh, we can segue from bears ears a little bit. I think that's the one people are probably most familiar with mm-hmm. and it's gotten, you know, a lot of the spotlight in the last couple of years cause we just passed the two year anniversary for yeah. the reduction from the, from the current administration. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still, <laughs> it's pretty, uh, upset about it and think about it a lot. And I just, I can't get over this just obtuse way of thinking absolutely really forward with that reduction. I'll completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, maybe we can stay on the public lands side of things and sure. uh segue into devil's tower. That now would. we're different, talking about a different land management agency with the park service now and devil's tower. I mean, super iconic. Everyone knows it. It's just like the standalone tower in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. Um, want to give us a little synopsis on what's going on up there? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so
1: devil's tower has kind of been one of those, um, issues for, for quite a while now. It's, you know, one of the first monuments designated and there are many tribes that have interests there that are, you know, predate really modern colonialism. So essentially, um, uh, <clears throat> what's going on there is, you know, there's been a fight between, uh, Plains tribes uh, to protect Devil's Tower for a long time, and that's not 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 from um, <clears throat> not only from recreation or, or, or ascending the tower, but also against mining and natural resource extraction there. Okay. Uh, but essentially, the tribes that have there are numerous tribes that have uh, interest there, and it's actually so it's known as Bear Lodge uh, by the Lakota. Um, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of different names for it um from the you know Cheyenne Arapaho, Shoshone crow, and kiowa um, so they all have their own interests in why that why that has to be protected it's a, they all have you know stories that some of them are similar, but they all have a sacred interest in in protecting that area so where the crux of the matter is essentially is. It's not on it's not on sovereign land. It's it's on public land, So you have this of course very very Poignant and and potent argument that it should not be climbed But because of the fact that it's it's on public lands, um climbers uh, Argue that it should be accessible for rock climbing Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and that that is that's that is the heart of the matter. It's like, okay, well how do we approach this issue if it's off of sovereign land You know it could easily just be like the navajo nation with this uh, outright ban on it um however public lands are just for that They're, they're they're public right so and in precedent set for a long time it needs to you know the argument on one side is that it needs to be remained open for for all user groups so
0: um that's been that's that's what has been going on for 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 quite a while now. And so, in what 90 1995, the voluntary closure was enacted in their climbing management plan for the month of June, right? To yeah, for that voluntary closure to happen just over one month out of the year, just for June. Could Correct. you go? Could you, yeah, could you explain the voluntary closure a little bit? Has it been affected and why? Why just June?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's kind of been. bit back and forth honestly yeah so 95 there was um the fcmp the final climbing management plan uh, was put out actually a mandatory ban and that was for commercial guides that was for uh people just coming in you know to to climb during the month of june um uh, and they saw they saw some pretty decent success it it increased uh, the climbers the amount of climbers during the month of June decreased by somewhere around like eighty six percent so that's a pretty big number um, especially considering the year before that you know there was there were thousands of climbers that were that were climbing it in the month of june right. um, so after that f c was put in place. There was a uh, essentially a, a reversal. Um, there was a case brought about um, by the, some of the commercial guides and some of the interested parties there that argued that <clears throat> the Native Americans' uh, right to practice um, their religious ceremonies there should not be. You know, it, it's essentially against the First Amendment right to to close it down mandatorily. Uh, exactly. Yep. So. What happened after that, and before that was really decided. Um, a the <clears throat> FCMP was was rewritten to have a voluntary ban. So you know, for the first few years there, it was it seemed like it was working. Um, there was in you know, like the early 2000s, there was a PBS documentary that came out that mentioned that even then it was you know 85% of climbers respected the ban. Um, so, you know, I, that's those are pretty good numbers. I mean, I, I think that's that, that's a pretty responsible way. And but since then, it's kind of been like a sine curve. Um, and some of the higher numbers were, you know, or over 400 people climbing in the month of June there in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been kind of up and down since then. Um, so in terms of it being effective, that's kind of a it's a hard argument to really make
0: yeah right i
1: think I think there's something is silver lining there though you know kind of what I see as like the true success is the precedent that was set for for tribes and climbers working together um generally in like in public spaces mm-hmm. you don't always get what you want, and that's just kind of history um, <laughs> but working together to to find some kind of compromise was is is really a a brilliant thing um right. especially when there isn't a precedent for it you know previously mm-hmm. um
0: or there are very few
1: um examples
0: of it right i mean is is one month en- enough really i mean
1: yeah so you know as as Diné as Navajo i i try not to speak for other tribes especially that are so far away from mine but you know that that's an argument I and mean, that's a real thing like is is June. I mean it's it's the ban is in June because a lot of people are are making their pilgrimage to collect um sacred medicines there and and also practice their ceremonies um at this really um significant site. And that is the month when the most traffic is is in place and I you know, that's that's a question that I think um was argued heavily and if one month out of an entire year, I mean, if you look at it especially since it was moved from a from an actual enforced ban to a voluntary one, I don't think that is the worst thing to ask for. <laughs> is, right. is is is, you know, respecting tradition for a month. Yeah, of course. But I do see the the climbers argument as well. But you know, I I think, like I said earlier, that the, the compromises that really have to be worked on.
0: Sure, I first heard about Devil's Tower in during my undergrad when I was at Colorado State. So this is like 2011, maybe 2010, 2011, and another student in my class brought up the the closure, and she's like up you know, climbers being disrespectful and they're only granting the tribes one month out of the year so right. on and so forth and, and i was like man that doesn't seem that unreasonable to give it up for one month like do climbers have to climb everything everywhere all the time <laughs> right 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 And so I've, it's it's kind of simmered you know i haven't thought about it in a while until uh, until i started re- researching this topic again recently but it was always kind of simmered in the back of my mind like yeah. How privileged we can be. And, and right. uh, yeah, it just, yeah, it was, it was interesting.
1: On that topic a little more, actually, um, a good friend of mine, Chris Coleman wrote a really nice piece in, um, outside online with, 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 details. Right. Yep. Right. And some of that was interesting. Um, one of the things he brought up was, was the diction in, um, in the actual, um, FCMP, um, mm-hmm. Essentially stating, you know, the diction goes that the voluntary closure will be successful when every climber personally chooses not to climb at Devils Tower during June out of respect for American Indian cultural values. Yep. So that is really interesting because, I mean, I, that's the discussion of voluntarily. I mean, is it is it you know every climber personally decides that they they're not going to do it out of respect? I. I, I kind of respect the the direction that it's going and what it was trying to hold people accountable for their actions, and and I think most climbers are are pretty responsible. That they they really do respect these things, especially as we move along in this growth in in the state of climbing. Um, however, you know the the numbers are kind of right. You know when when there was a, a forced enforced ban there were higher numbers that were, that were not going. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, it becomes a question of responsibility and in, in, even, even on public lands, you know, that's, it's a hard one. And it's one that we grapple with all the time across the country.
0: Right. Well, I think it's, it's provided an opportunity for climbers to have a choice to go or not to go and to be respectful and, Choose not choosing not to go is showing respect. Is only gonna just make us look better and <laughs> right. And also there's there's a there's a parallel argument
1: there as well. You know, so certain certain um, certain lands for national parks and forests have enforced bans for climbing for stuff like nesting. You know, whether that be falcon yep. or wildlife. Yep. Right. So I mean, and those are are I mean pretty well. Known and very well recognized and and obeyed, um, and those are mm-hmm. you know those are months long. Those are like five months long in some cases. Oh yeah, um, and I don't you know taking that example and looking at you know the one month that's voluntary at uh, at Bears Lodge. That that is definitely one of the things that you know make me think that we can do better than that.
0: Right, right. Could be argued that climbing is a religion
1: true kind of is mine but (laughs) yeah uh, yeah i mean
0: it's yeah it's it's kind of mine too it's it's my church i guess right there has been that argument you know with okay like well it is a church
1: for a lot of people and it does bring us to this other place that we we feel you know definitely is is higher than you know than other places but you know, in the same way, you know, for religious freedoms, that you can't go and bolt a church. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, you can't. I mean, it's the same thing, somewhat, to you know, looking at bears, bears lodge. You know,
0: mm-hmm. right. <laughs> like, you right. wouldn't go and bolt a church. You wouldn't go and climb up to the top of a church. Right. Exactly. During yeah some yeah somebody's ceremony. Right. right. Um, what's uh, do you know what the National Park Service is like? effort is right now to communicate the the closure during June? Is there some kind of is there education? Is there signs up or and whatnot? Is what what is what's going on their end?
1: Right. I think uh, you know, so I'm not I'm not on the ground there.
0: I, I haven't had a lot of
1: contact. But you know, uh-huh. so what I what I see is are the discussions brought from concerned parties there. And you know, as per the article, Chris Coleman's article, uh, doing a walk around the area. I mentioned that there were no signs for, you know, mentioning the voluntary ban for, you know, respect for Native American cultures. Um, so there, all I hear essentially is, is what comes to the grapevine,
0: quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think I read that, that the park service is considering now revising the 25 year old voluntary closure. If the climber numbers do not, continue to decrease Mm -hmm. and they seem to be having been on the rise for the last five to seven years and they could try adjusting it through education first but if they don't decrease this could lead to to further restrictions do you know about any um, reconsideration of the current management plan
1: yeah so i mean what i've heard is just from what i've read Um, again um, i've heard that certain uh, ethnographic studies you know, kind of lead to that direction where maybe climbing should be one of those things that's prohibited altogether. It could be, you know, that, I mean, that that's, that is actually something, and that's that's another thing that I always really think of um, with the work that I do, always keep in mind, like, what the realities of, of calling ourselves a responsible user group and um, in industry means. And some of that, mm-hmm. that goes back to, you know, that question, should we be climbing there? Like, is, is that, is it worth it to climb there when there's this much opposition to it? It's very sacred to, to, to many people. Um, Right. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of back and forth for that. And there have been, you know, uh, another one of the comments I read was the the superintendent of the, uh, of that area um, saying that essentially it could be changed. However, it might just be something like the wording uh, of, you know, the, what you would call success, you know, so okay. we may not ever reach full success there, essentially. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, that that will be OK. So um, it I think it's up to I think it's up to advocates and a lot of people taking a closer look at this, this back and forth that's been going on for so long to to really Press their, you know, their elected officials to, to, or appointed officials to, to really, you know, make make the right decision here and, you know, yep. really take in all of the information instead of just placing, you know, placing favor on, you know, uh, uh, you know whether that be climbers or, or any other recreation group.
0: I know the Access Fund has done their part. They they support the voluntary closure in June. And I've encouraged climbers to go to other close by, you know, areas that are close by, like Ten Sleep and Spearfish Canyon in South Dakota. So I know they're doing their part, you know, on the advocacy side. And I'll be interested to see if, uh, yeah, if anything gets gets revised, and if climbers can, yeah, be start being more. I don't want to say start being more respectful, but just have it being under the, on their radar. Right, and that's that's kind of it. That's kind of the takeaway
1: I, w- I would mention regarding that, uh, that regarding that specific issue is just that I think, um, you know, tribes um, have a really vast knowledge regarding sustainability and,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: of, of natural landscapes. And I mean, the, it's pretty obvious that the credibility there is, I mean, it's been demonstrated through millennia <laughs> in, yeah,
0: 100%, in, in stewarding
1: yeah. the land. Um, yep. and I think that climbers are getting to the point that they are, I mean, just as a user group in general are, are learning and learning really fast with, uh, this dedication to not only like how to be better stewards, but also to acknowledge the sources that that knowledge can come from. And like mm-hmm. the original land managers, which are tribes, and yeah, I think that's, I that's like kind
0: that
1: term. of right. So I think. I think that's um, that's one of the biggest connection points that climbers need to be receptive at is that there, you know, there's some really good advice there. You just, you just kind of have to listen and it's been ignored for, for a long time. Um, However, it's up to us to change
0: that. If we want to be, if we want to be a sustainable community. Right. Yeah. Especially with the, uh, the numbers that are, the numbers of uh, just larger community growing every day and, yeah, listening listening to understand, not listening to just reply and react, right?
1: Right, right, right. And that's a good way of putting it as well.
0: Yeah. So, all right. Well, cool. Devil's Tower. Let's uh, let's move on to some Navajo specific areas like Shiprock and Diablo Canyon in New Mexico. All right. So, dude, Shiprock is located on the Navajo Nation in the Four Corners region in, like, northwestern New Mexico. And I read up on some of the history of the formation. It's a really cool story. Could you provide the listeners a little background on this, like, this mytholo- uh you know, the, the story behind uh, Shiprock?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so um, Shiprock is one of very sacred... Um, monoliths for the navajo nation yeah and it's, it's right outside of, of Shiprock. you can actually see it from um essentially from durango uh if oh, you're really? up in the mountains yeah you can see Shiprock from there massive monolith sticking out of the ground it's um
0: yeah uh, very impressive
1: is the name it's a rock with wings so mm-hmm. essentially it's a really it's kind of a cool story so um, in terms of, of myth it's essentially you know, it is what acted as transportation for for the Navajo, and it depends on who you talk to. But essentially, one of the reasons why it's considered so sacred and that we shouldn't climb it is that um, it's um apparent it's where Navajo lived on top of the on on top of the monolith for a while, and would only come down to to you know for sustenance and and retrieve water and such and, and mm-hmm. Um, and essentially one day there was the trail leading up to it was, was destroyed by, by some lightning and left it, its inhabitants up at the top. Um, so essentially it's forbidden to go up there because of, of respect for those women and children and men that, that, that perished up there and mm-hmm. it's protected by those ghosts. Um, and there's also, you know, so we have we have male figures that are, are, are mythical male figures that protected Navajo as we entered the world, this fourth world that fought off monsters for us. One of them was named Monster Slayer. And yep. there's also the legend that Monster Slayer, um, after the majority of the monsters that he killed, um Killed a couple of bird monsters up there that would come down and attack humans and eat them, um, and up there were left a couple of uh, a couple of those nasty birds that monster slayer turned into an owl and an eagle. So there's a lot of a uh, there, there's well not a lot but there there are a few different myths about the mountain um, that really emphasize why it, it's considered you know a desecration to climb the mountain Mm -hmm. um i actually so admittedly i was doing a bit of research to to make sure that i'm I'm characterizing the mountain right just out of respect for it and um uh and my grandma um so my lives in gallup arizona and one of her biggest questions was like you're not going to climb it are you (laughs) Like, no, 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 Like that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to bring light to is the reasons why we don't climb it and why it's, why it's sacred to us. Yep.
0: So it's been, yeah, I mean, the, the, the story runs very deep, long time and it's yeah really cool. A rock with wings. I found that really, just really fascinating and really interesting. And so the first ascent on the thing was back in like the thirties, I think. And then there was a fatality in 1969 or 1970. Um, I from what I've from what I've gathered, it was uh
1: 1966 when there was oh, okay. somebody who perished up there. Okay, gotcha. But,
0: and in, that's what triggered the outright ban on the climbing there. Right, right. So yeah, essentially before that,
1: you know, you you see various movies like you know the Eiger Sanction, really yeah. popular ones of of climbers. You know, being able to climb these formations, but for really, I guess extenuating circumstances like i guess making a movie um but after after that happened you know it's it's a it's a discussion you know that even now we're dealing with you know so the outright ban happened to you know essentially keep keep climbers from going up and and you know ascending and drawing pitons into the walls and such and climbing Mm -hmm. into these spiritual uh uh these spiritual mountains and, and monoliths, um, and also there, you know, in terms of accidents happening, there's no management plan for who rescues the climber. Like when, right. what, what happens in an emergency, and and I think that was one of the reasons that, you know, aside from climbers desecrating, you know, these these really spiritual formations, it's like, well. Who who gets to deal with the, the aftermath when something bad happens and if that keeps happening, what uh you know, how how is that gonna be managed? So yeah, mm-hmm. so nineteen seventy one, I believe, could have been seventy two was when there was the executive proclamation or actually memo that forbade climbing on all Navajo nation lands.
0: Gotcha. Okay. there's still there still seems to be some kind of ambiguity behind it if there's an outright ban on climbing and there's still some ambiguous nature to it i mean what's left to interpret here because people seem to be kind of confused if the formation is actually closed or not yeah did some more research on that and yes Mm -hmm. there's the ban but like some local ranchers or something may give permission for people to do it like can you go can you not go could you unpack that a little bit sure yeah and it's it's You know, it's not a –
1: it's not – so, essentially on Shiprock, what has kind of gone on historically, and and historically, I even – I'm talking about the last 10 years or so. um, Mm -hmm. There has been an interesting um, debate that has been forming um, due to um, a few um, uncertainties and and people – guiding actually accepting money to to take people up shiprock Uh um and from that kind of gave birth this this false slogan that is to climb on the navajo nation or shiprock all you have to do is befriend a navajo which is not based in reality it's not based on anything um especially because there's you know even hiking or filming or driving around shiprock is prohibited because of its sacred nature and because it's a it's a sacred space. So um the the I guess the false idea that it's okay to climb shiprock with 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 a, with a Navajo a Navajo guide was I, I don't know where it came from or or who started <laughs> using that but it absolutely yeah. came as a shock to us that that was happening. And a lot of, a lot of people in Shiprock and that, that community, that chapter were, were very upset that this was going on. Um, right. And that's kind of been one of the, you know, it's had lasting effects and it, it just kind of, I think it, it's really representative of, um, and there are people that aren't from the Navajo nation that, that argue that that is true, that they did nothing wrong. And, you know, it's like, well, I mean, a little bit of research would have showed you otherwise, you know, it's um, not only is it sacred, but absolutely. There's, there's, there are proclamations and states that it's absolutely illegal to climb there. Um, So that's, that's been an an interesting topic on the Navajo nation as well um, because there is a division um, of sometimes of power, depending on the amount of authority given to chapters, um, that could use the land as they see fit. However, rock climbing has to be mentioned in these plans, and so far, it's I'm not aware of any chapters that have that as a part of their use plan. So, <clears throat> essentially, approaching approaching climbing especially so Shiprock is really sacred that's off the table but you know essentially what we've been trying to work for is building sustainable climbing meaning no climbing on any of the sacred formations but perhaps developing climbing as you know something that is you know the the actual policy legislation has changed at the at the uh, Navajo Nation Tribal Council level as well as included in the chapter level management plans, um, right And to like I said, to my knowledge that that hasn't happened in, in any of the chapters. Um, so that that is kind of the gray area that that people have described in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. However,
1: I mean, it's not really a gray area. it's <laughs> it, there's been a stance specifically mentioning rock climbing and skydiving that mm-hmm. has been taken by members of the navajo nation that i feel you know should be respected and maintained
0: yeah. All Right, absolutely i mean it's the same thing we're talking about with devil's tower just right yeah an opportunity to be respectful and and not try to skirt around it exactly so do you do you have direct involvement with with these issues as in like your position as the, as the regional court, as the native lands regional coordinator, um, like you're so knowledgeable about it, but like, yeah. Uh, what's like a day in the life look like, or what's your position look like here?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, yes, I've, I've encountered a lot of, you know, both support and resistance to, to the stance that I take on and climbing on, on, on sovereign lands, Navajo nation, mm-hmm. which, um, uh, Essentially, I think that you know I like to err on the side and really just assume that climbers are, for the most part, are trying to have a positive impact. Uh, which sometimes it's hard to believe, um, sure. but you know I, I like to think that. So, w- with that said, I kind of I look at the end result and I look at different approaches for for what could be successful, not, not just for the, the local chapters, that as well, of course, but not only for that, but for Navajo in general. Um, so that is why my approach is essentially trying to make it get some some change at the tribal council level to address, you know, what rock climbing can be. And how sustainable practices can actually be really valuable to to the Navajo sure. Nation, um, yeah. instead of approaching it from the other way of climbing, regardless of of you know what you've researched and you know uh, essentially committing illegal acts on a sovereign nation. Um, mm-hmm. So that is that's the general goal. That that is where I think are are the only responsible way forward is, is is to actually approach, um, a uh, approach tribal council and get it get get it changed there rather than coming from the from the chapter level. Right. So, like, just kind of top down instead of bottom up. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, the the bottom up is where this this argument for a gray area is housed. And right, you know, exactly. as much as as much as I you know hope that the intentions are in the right place. It's, it's really hard to believe that sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Well, very, very interesting stuff. Um, That's too bad. There's, there's this, all this gray area and ambiguity to what, what, how people interpret things. It seems to be pretty cut and dry, but yeah, if I moving forward, coming from the general counsel coming down that could set everything up for success. Absolutely. And just doing it, doing it the right way, and not and things not being ignored. Um, do you want to jump into Diablo Canyon at all? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, actually, that's a really good segue into uh, into Perfect. into Canyon Diablo. So, all right. what's going oh, on, Canyon Diablo? Sorry. Oh, was, yeah. Like, no, no, worries. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah.
1: Um, so, essentially, what's been going on there is that the opposite approach is, um, you know, so for many, so Canyon Diablo is in Loop Chapter, just northeast of Flagstaff, Arizona. And Mm -hmm. it's a canyon there that climbers from off the reservation, uh, from northern Arizona, have been bolting and climbing for for years, for for years, for almost, I think, around two decades now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the issue is, is that, they moved in before getting any chapter support or any approval besides asking you know a few land leasees there if it was okay for them to do it um which you know in in recent years uh we've learned that there the chapter does support it They they do think that rock climbing could be a new economic sector for them and you know however there is that issue with okay well what land is it on i mean some people say that it's chapter land and that they can they can do what they they wish um, and they could grant permission to whoever wants to go down there but there other the other side of it um is that it looks like it's navajo nation parks and recreation land so whether or not the, the chapter supported that there's this issue that climbers were down there bolting before having support, and you know, and doing so illicitly and, and trying to hide it. Um, there've been a couple of incidents where the you know somebody would get angry that the climbers were down there and kick them out, you know, and they you know, respect that for a couple of years and then just return again. So that's that's yeah. been an issue of, you know, that approach is is totally against respect of sovereignty of a of a of a sovereign land, a sovereign nation. And mm-hmm. not only that, but like I mentioned earlier, what happens if there's no management plan? What happens in terms of, you know, erosion, in terms of controlling the bolting, in terms of somebody gets hurt down there like who is going to respond to that and who is, is, you know, liable for that. Um, yeah. Not only that, but you know, that, that Canyon has significant artifacts um, present um, that as well as it is a former, I mean, it actually still is a golden Eagle nesting spot. Cool. A lot of these, um, a lot of the, uh, uh, the approach has been a feel that it's been this, uninformed very self-driven um kind of undertaking down there and just now the climbers are starting to to realize okay maybe that wasn't the way to do it um, <laughs> so that that's definitely one of the things that you know fits right in there with with ship right because it's 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 sovereign land both of those areas mm-hmm. are on sovereign land we're not talking about public lands here we're not talking about residents that set on public lands we're talking about a place that climbing has a ban in place on, or, or the nation has a, a, a ban in place on climbing, um, which are right. two separate beasts. Um, so uh, essentially that that's kind of the quick rundown of, of Canyon Diablo. And I think um, there's, there's been a lot more responsibility lately on the, on behalf of climbers coming from Northern Arizona, um, recognizing that, okay, um, This, yeah, this, you know, there really seems like even if there is a gray area, that's not enough to go and start bolting and climbing there. Um, And and to be clear, there's a difference between climbing, you know, just climbing on the rock and far worse, there's something, there's bolting, which Mm -hmm. we aren't sure how that is going to impact this greater discussion on Navajo because there have been so much bolting that's going on down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just this really interesting issue that, that uh, can be argued, I guess is complicated, but really isn't, I I believe when you're talking about a, you know, somebody else's land that you're on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, we all know about private property, right? And that's pretty cut and dry. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um. And since there's no formal management plan in place, can anyone like be fined or penalized for, for going?
1: Yeah. So that's, I mean, if it was, I mean, apparently there is some support from the chapter level um, and which is great. I think that's a really good thing. Um, And again, I always like to think that we're, we're trying to do the right thing for everybody here, but this That's one thing that that can possibly happen. it You could be committing felony trespassing on a sovereign land, um mm-hmm. especially with putting in bolts in protected areas and you know doing so illicitly you know for for so many years absolutely right. there there are consequences
0: all right well, good to know. How do we get the word out some more about uh about all this advocacy work that you're doing and about more about native native lands and climbing on native lands? Oh Yeah, I think just, I think the discussion is, is, is
1: doing what it can, you know, I mean, of course, okay. there's always, there's always issues to, to be researched more and, and figure out how you can get involved. Like, you know, we, we mentioned talking about the um, public lands fight with, um, or, or just kind of back and forth we've seen with uh, the Bears Lodge. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I think more than anything else, I'll just go back to what, what I mentioned earlier is, is really respecting the relationship that could really be formed and be really significant and be really effective in a lot of ways between tribes and tribal interests and outdoor Mm -hmm. recreation, not, not only just Mm -hmm. climbing, but outdoor rec in general. Um, and that involves, you know, being respectful yeah you know like you mentioned earlier you know being a learner like mm-hmm. listening to learn rather than to you know of course all you know, most, you know opinions are valid of course but figuring out your best impact to to help the voices that are that are struggling to be heard right now
0: sure Well, that's a great point. And I wanted to kind of wrap this up on the state of social advocacy just in general. I mean, I see more and more advocacy being put towards and highlighting native lands and native peoples, uh, climate change, diversity, equity, inclusion, so on and so forth. I mean, the tides are really turning and I think it's palpable. I can can see it, I can feel it, I can hear it, everything. And the more and more I'm on social media, the more and more I see people you know, dropping the little pin saying like so-and-so territory right. of where they're climbing on. I mean, is that, that's, a start, right? And it's, it should only grow from there.
1: Right. I think uh, I can answer that question through a, uh, I guess, just kind of a few examples. Yeah. I mean, so it's right. So this social advocacy, I mean, it, it's always, there's always a chaotic element to, to social change and, um, and so we're seeing a lot of we're seeing, you know, quite, quite a bit of that, the use of social media for it. And, you know, I think what I feel, you know, there've been examples of, you know, just outright attacking and and this growth of a a chaotic, like a call out culture in general. And I've been on Mm -hmm. receiving ends of that. And that's kind of one of the things that I've always kept out of my advocacy is because I don't don't think it's effective. I, I think it's, out there to, to hurt people and rather than actually bring some, some sustainable change. Um, but what I will say, um, I think, you know, we're, we're going the right direction in terms of, um, this, you know, as a certain industry, outdoor recreation has, is moving in in a really nice way. It's moving in a really respectful way, because like you mentioned, we are seeing the, the tags, we are seeing the pin of, of, um, you know, whose, whose lands you're on, what territories you're at, who is there before you. And I think that mm-hmm. just enriches the experience for everybody. I don't, I don't oh, understand yeah. why you wouldn't. Um, and, you know, in terms of land acknowledgement, yeah, that's, it's a good start. It's a good step, but you know, that's, that's not just the end all be all there. There's a lot more that goes into acknowledging cultures than that. And one of the most awesome things I've seen, um, in recent memory that really that really make me happy about the direction of advocacy and outdoor recreation is going um was a couple of years ago at the outdoor retailer there was a native dance that took place to open up a, a five point film festival which was incredible to see that I, i've I haven't seen that in outdoor recreation before and um, there's also an area in Arizona that's a, it's a ski hill, one of two that are really popular in Arizona called um called uh oh snow um uh, oh my gosh what is it called it's in the White Mountains mm-hmm. hang on let me uh, I can't remember oh Just,
0: Snowball's heart. the one right out of F- Flagstaff, right? Sunrise. <laughs> Excuse Sunrise. me. Sunrise okay. okay.
1: So yeah, one of the things that I've seen that's really that's really really motivating is um you know so the white mountain Mountain apache took over uh they purchased um sunrise and what they've decided to do was open up their season with a traditional apache dance that was awesome a ceremony that was you know asking for protection for all of the users going there so Mm -hmm. we're definitely seeing you know really good acknowledgement and really good examples of, of, of the people that were here around us but it takes it takes a little more than acknowledgement. You know, we need to all be a part of these issues that we that we we strongly believe in, and that that means you know asking uncomfortable questions. That means mm-hmm. you know actually getting involved and in, in being a part of you know a conversation that that is in the public forum. Um, yeah. and it's really easy, to, like I said, that the social media element can be a little bit. I'd also you know I'd also like. I also like to think that, you know, if you're if you're getting your news from Instagram, it's probably <laughs> not doing something right. right. <laughs> there are a lot of organizations <laughs> out there that do some really good work. And it just takes a little bit of searching to to access them and, and see what their right. cause is.
0: Yeah. Dig a little deeper. Don't yeah, don't take everything surface level on what you <laughs> see uh, on the on the social platforms. But um well I imagine I might start doing the pin drop just to you know get something started on my end and I want to continue to do my best and be respectful, be knowledgeable and making voices be louder. Right. Yeah and I think uh, you know over the years I've done quite a
1: few um panels, you know for the Access Fund for for Natives Outdoors yep. and um been fortunate enough to be in that position and every year it seems like the yeah the crowds are growing. The, the questions are way more involved, and uh, people really seem to want to learn and, and get educated, which is yeah, another really positive thing.
0: Okay, thank you, Aaron. That was a, that was a really wonderful conversation, and I I didn't get to meet Aaron when I was in Seattle when we were both in Seattle back in October. I wish I had the opportunity to, but. I just have the impression that he's probably one of the nicest guys that you could ever meet, and if anyone's ever got any thoughts or inquiries or questions about anything to do with, with climbing on native lands, he's the man to talk to. That was, uh, that was a really wonderful conversation, and it's, there's a lot of just, I think, downer moments <laughs> during our talk, unfortunately, but I'm glad we really ended on a high note there at the end, just talking about... Social advocacy in a broader sense, and, and how he's feeling encouraged with the advocacy that's moving behind uh, native lands and, and respecting uh, you know tribes and, and uh, tribal values and so on and so forth. I think uh, things are moving in the right direction, and I really like his encouragement that got me more encouraged and got me uh, more inspired to to get more involved in this in this upcoming year. So I'm going to make sure I roll into 2020 strong. I hope you do as well. Set your bar high, and uh, let's keep going. Let's let's keep going with with all the advocacy. It's awesome stuff. So I'll see you all in the new year with episode 15. Y'all take care.